Hey everyone, it's Luke. Um, you have kindly joined us again on the uh, Moments uh, podcast. Um, today we're with Ruth Cornish of Amalor. Uh, Ruth, I'll ask you to give a little intro to you, if you don't mind, please. Lovely. Thanks for having me on, Luke. Great to, um, to be on the podcast. Uh, I'm Ruth Cornish. I um, have run my own business for 10 years, 30 years in HR, working in a variety of sectors, from investment banking, retail, the public sector, um, and, and very interested in the work that Luke and his team are doing. Cool. So we're going to talk a little bit about the future of work um, and the worker relationship. So we talk about our relationship with work and how do we make it meaningful. Um, one of the things that we often all also talk about, and it's hinted at from the, um, the podcast, is um, moments. It'd be really interesting to just get from you before we start with the, um, uh, some of the questions that I've got noted down for you. Just what's the standout moment of your career, if you don't mind? Um, and I know that this one is off script and I'm putting you on the spot already. Um, but um, just a sense of the biggest highlight um, or the thing in which gave you the, 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 the most amount of insight that fundamentally changed your perspective on the way in which you think about things. Um, so that big moment, if you don't mind. Great question. Um, I think it was probably when I first started to work with the founders of NotOnTheHighStreet.com back in the early days when they were doing reasonably well, but weren't a high street name. And I had recently left the world of work as an employee and was working for myself and was going through the whole, will I add any value? Can I make it work for myself? Is this going to be a good fit? Um, and realizing that entrepreneurs in particular know a lot about their product, they know a lot about what they want to do. They're really strong consumers, but actually all the insight and knowledge I had as an HR professional was directly relevant, not just to their business, but to developing them as, we're going to talk about this later on, if I say corporate leaders, an ugly world for, for many millennials, but as a leader of a growing organization. And I think that was my sort of standout moment um, because I look back on how, significant that was for the growth of that business yeah indeed no it's an interesting one it's quite it's not too dissimilar to some of the inspiration that led me to create mo actually which is um that people are people at the end of the day and some of us have a marketing bias and some of us have a hr or people bias but fundamentally we're trying to do the same thing whether it's to a consumer or a business or to a person that works for us which is try and create an emotional connection to that yeah. person uh, such that they've, they give you more effort because they're emotionally rather than rationally connected. So yes. that makes sense. It's true. Um, and that link with the culture, I suppose. Um, I think it's fair to say that female founders in particular often focus quite heavily on, am I creating a business that I would want to work in? And that was quite a lot of what we did. And for me, it was a pivotal moment in terms of, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay doing this. I enjoy this. So that'd be my moment. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's probably one of the reasons why my wife spends so much money on not on the high street as well. <laughs> Everyone's perceptive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got probably five or six questions for you. Um, Go I'm going to jump straight into the first one. So um, we, uh, we were introduced through uh, a colleague uh, here, uh, Steve, who runs growth for us, 
Uh, he met me first at a, uh, a prior business uh, focused on freelancers. Um, and for me, the worker profile of the future is quite an interesting topic. Uh, and I think it is for you too. And I think I would really be keen to start us off with, what do you think the worker of the future will look like? So not less the shape of the business and what it's going to yeah. um, look like, but what on the, on the worker side of the relationship, um, yeah. what do you think they look like and, and kind of why or what's driving uh, the change to the way that they look? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I often talk about this when I'm doing work with HR professionals, because up to this point, the traditional worker has been an employed person working in an organization, working full time, Monday to Friday, um, and you know, working long and hard. And that's really starting to change, particularly with the younger generation coming on the scene, but actually all of us want what we're calling a work-life balance. And we're increasingly seeing people make choices to give themselves greater flexibility. Um, I'd be a good example. You know, I've worked for myself for 10 years and I've loved the flexibility yeah. and being able to choose. And people are increasingly wanting to do that. And what we're starting to see now um, is graduates not even considering the corporate world, which before they would have actually focused on and going straight into a startup or setting something up themselves or going for a small organization. And so I do think that workers will potentially morph into one thing. So at the moment, we're very clear about self-employed and employed, but I do think it's going to morph into one thing called a worker, which I think will be positive. Yeah, I have quite a, um, a passionate thought on this. I had a very similar conversation with a fellow founder the other day, which is um, corporate businesses traditionally would have been trying to attract him and I, and now we're going, well, actually, we want to start our own thing because there's a whole host of challenges but opportunities and ability to learn in that environment. Um, so there's a camp of people that want to start their own thing. There's a huge number, as you would have seen with, you know, Juno, uh, yep. people going freelance yeah um the, there's also for me this this big shift in the value exchange of work it used to be your base salary and uh maybe the benefits that come with it but now it seems like people want much more from that relationship that they have with work yep. such that the employment obligation of you turn up you exchange x amount of hours which assumes a, a certain amount of effort for your base salary seems like it's something that will very soon be a thing of the past like yeah. people are less conscious of multiple income streams are less worried about where will my next job come from and more a case of well I'll hand in my notice here because something else will come along um how do you think that's going to influence um the relationship between the worker and the work or the organization that they work for um as that profile changes and I guess, what do you, how do you think um, organizations should try and tackle employee or worker motivation in that context? I guess what I mean there is workers changing, why they work is changing, but organizational structures in the way in which they compensate people for their work has remained fairly consistent. Yeah. Um, and if someone has five income streams, they work a different day for a different person yeah. a different organization like how do you 
how do you really motivate those people and what what do you think needs to change to do that it's a very interesting question um and, it, and actually it's an area where smaller businesses and startups are leading the way they understand it better um and 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 consequently they're attracting some of the best talent um money is obviously a motivator people want to be paid um fairly for what they do but they value other things as well so not just flexibility but i suppose being treated and understood and respected as an individual and increasingly we're seeing organizations have a range of different ways in which they connect with that individual and motivate them and support them to live the life that they want to live and i think that's hugely important and i think some of the traditional ways in which we manage people need to change so you know lots of policies and procedures and benefits that you can only get if you've been there a long time or you're a certain grade or whatever people kind of want things straight away and immediately and you know even things like how their performance is managed um, you know, lots of people don't enjoy the whole traditional appraisal process which is being phased out thank goodness but they want to give feedback as well you know it's becoming a much more of a two-way street and you know previously the organization had all the power but now the organizations are starting to recognize that actually they've got to work to keep people so retention is becoming a big issue and people that were happy last week may be less happy this week because someone else is doing something and they're interested in that so development's massive i think you know in terms yeah, of career, career management is a big thing and a, and a big trend i would say and with all of the investment that's going into employee engagement largely in terms of you know some of the big survey providers giving much much richer understanding and a much more frequent understanding of what's engaging people at work like a Coltramp or a Glint or Pecon or whoever that are measuring employee engagement the employment relationship almost creates an obligation to try and be motivated for the employer that you work in but as that changes and you're in a position where let's say you had five income streams right you did work for a different company every day yep. because you wanted to diversify your income because you don't trust the person that was once your employer because you feel like they might let go of you tomorrow and they wouldn't care about that so you want to diversify your risk so you don't want to adjust your lifestyle you don't want to have all of your eggs in one basket with one job so you have multiple income streams this, this concept of engagement to extract kind of dis, um, discretionary effort from people, how do you build that kind of relationship if you are becoming more and more of, dare I say, like a commodity, a transaction in which somebody can extract some value from you for a day's worth of work once a week? How, how do you go about practically building a relationship that is emotional rather than just purely rational? It's a hard one, isn't it? But I think one of the things that we're starting to see is the growth of communities where, you know, people are connecting online and, you know, connecting over things like values and things that they care about and organisations that have got a very clear purpose and very clearly stand for things that that individual is aligned with um, will be ahead of the curve. So I can think of an example recently of talking to someone that's doing exactly what you're describing as an HR independent working with two or three organizations a week, but having lots mm -hmm. of choice about that, you know, and choosing to work with those three 
and you know she's gone for ones that are environmentally very strong they've yeah. got a very clear plastic recycling policy i know it doesn't sound like much but it's something that she really strongly believes in and to be in an environment where people are sharing that almost doing the hr work is secondary but actually she's very aligned with that organization so it's easier for her to do her role um, and so I think that, you know, increasingly there's more of a focus on, I do think, values and being authentic. I, I think lots of organisations have lots of policies that mean nothing. And actually, if you're in and out, none of those things are relevant anyway. So what can you yeah. articulate that's really clear and visible to someone? You know, how, how you're working and do they care about you? You know, traditionally, if someone was in one day a week, they'd be seen as, you know, a commodity as you describe how can you connect with them so that they feel that you're um that you care about them i suppose and, and that's everything yeah. from their workstations comfortable to whether you're you know managing their stress talking to them about other assignments etc etc yeah indeed i think this probably leads me quite nicely on to the, the the next question which um for me when you when i i'm seeing so 10, 15 years ago, I worked quite a bit in marketing and I saw this big shift of power from um, the retailers, uh, which mandated the way in which you buy, what you can buy and at the price that you buy, to a shift to the consumer. And the consumer said, well, hold on a minute, I don't want to buy from your store that takes me time to get into and to park and all of the faff that comes with that. I want to buy online. And then it evolved to mobile and then the experience of purchase uh, became a really big thing and the power had completely shifted to the um, consumer it was less about some of the basics like price that differentiated why you bought from one brand over another there was a whole host of uh, factors that contributed to it um, and the power really sat with the consumer in the large part which is why you're seeing so many of the high street brands in my mind um, disappear sadly yeah. I think we're starting to see hints of the same thing happening with the employment relationship or the worker relationship from uh, the employer having all of the power yep. uh, and a one-sided relationship to one that either has to become much more balanced or the employee will sit with all of the power. And the big question for me really in a, in a world in which the labour market is really tight and knowledge workers are increasing power, the, the, the value of money because you know you can get you know, another five or 10 grand just down the road is becoming weaker. So salary is less of a bargaining chip. And on the opposite side, you're hearing stories with the likes of Uber where the, mm. the, the power from the employee perhaps isn't there. Like, what, what is your view on where is the power sitting within that employment relationship? Or I, mean, I, I agree with you, Luke. It is increasingly shifting towards I'm going to say workers rather than employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I and I don't, but I don't think every organisation recognises that. And I think some of the things that we make people put up with, like long protracted recruitment processes with no feedback and all of that, they need to go. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that you know the big one we've talked about it but it's flexible working because although you describe we both talked about people working one day a week for different organizations that's more freelance portfolio whereas the majority of people are still looking to work with one organization probably what they absolutely want is flexibility 
and they want to be able to say it would suit me to work part of my time at home part of my time in the office to study for this and start to dictate what would work for them and the wise and progressive employer should be already thinking about how they can do that now interestingly large organization like Accenture is does do that they already do that and they have a lot of people making it clear about what suits them when they're available and lots of people based at home etc but there's still increasingly mm -hmm. a sort of almost a frozen position where some organizations won't consider it at all and it's men and women that want this of all ages with all profiles and so i think there's definitely something around flexibility but also around development you know if people feel they're not moving on not progressing there isn't a plan for them there isn't they can't better or improve themselves that's also a factor and you know traditionally people just work hard and hope to get noticed and that's yeah. less, that's that's not the case now because you know your, your your best people will just leave you corporate loyalty i do think is probably something that is dying a death um i couldn't i couldn't agree with you more yeah and those that sort of, you know, I was talking to someone over the weekend who was complaining that someone they'd hired, they worked lots with, uh, had just left to go somewhere else, you know, because it was better for her. And, you know, yeah. she said, there's no loyalty. And I said, there is no loyalty. So you had her while well, you had her, and that was great. But actually, you know, you just got to keep moving. And I think that's the thing I'll be saying to everybody, but particularly to organisations. Yeah, I think loyalty for me relies on trust, and I think we've yeah. seen over, you know, since the financial crisis, there's quite there's quite a lot of reasons not to trust yeah. the, the the figures in society in which we once believed in, um, oh. and that's some of I know that's quite a deep point, but I think the the the, the same holds true um, in 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 most respects relating to work is you don't believe that someone's going to have your back, so why should you have theirs? And, and it I is think true. it's one of the big challenges. Very, it's, I mean, I think, and I think that's a really good point, because what we're sort of starting to see now is, yeah, I'll do it. Are you going to do it? Are we both going to do it? Because I think before, the organisation had all the power. And then that's interesting in terms of the role of HR, because I think we both agree that HR is traditionally there for the organisation, and although yeah. they should be there to support workers, they could recruit you one day and fire you the next is the reality and so who's supporting those workers in the organization i think that's an, an interesting um direction because i would say there's increasingly external hr people working with those people and providing support as you know unions are all but a thing of the past but people yeah. still want to know how to handle and manage some of these situations so yes i think um trust is a big issue and i think that people work is work is not the important thing it once was it's one important thing but health is important family is important fitness and exercise is important other stuff is as important and i think the balance is tipped as well yeah i think there's a perceptive consideration there right as to um work isn't the be all and end all but for many it is fundamentally important to what you want out of life yeah um whether that's the things that enables you to achieve or for the likes of me it's you know a, a fundamental part of what hopefully i'll be here to do um which is yeah i think it's interesting i think one of the threads that you talked about which is 
um, it's about me um, and me isn't the same as you um, in the way in which you talked about an organization and flexibility and some of those topics. Um, the, the big trend that you saw uh, retailer and consumer relationship and the power shifting to the consumer drive uh, was a much greater level of personalization in the experience that you had. And I think one of the big challenges organizations have is building for me as an individual with a level of personalization and not building wholesale programs that are intended to work for all. I think one of the big challenges is you get this big dilutive impact on some of the experiences or some of the things that you're trying to enable people to do because it's for everyone and not for me. I absolutely agree. How do you feel about that? I absolutely agree with that, Luke. Individualization is key. Um, it's really powerful. And do you know what? HR are very anxious about it. And the reason they're anxious about doing it, although it makes complete sense, and we all want it, don't we? We all want to be told, you're amazing, you're not going to go through the recruitment process, we're just going to hire you, whatever that will happen, even if you're an HR person, um, is their fear of breaking employment law. That lawyers yeah. don't like that sort of approach. Lawyers absolutely will say, you must treat everybody the same. And actually more so, they'd say, you must treat workers differently from employees or someone somewhere will say that they're employees. Like, does anyone care? And so the focus is wrong. But I absolutely agree. I think there needs to be a range of approaches. And if you ask people what they want, often there's commonality, but different people want different things. And if you feel able to do that and to facilitate that, and that's where I would come back to startups are the best at this. And I'm going to say something as well. Often they don't have HR supporting them. So they're just doing what feels right. They're just responding yeah. to their workers before someone's come in and said, oh, you need a staff handbook. You mustn't do that. Stop that. Everyone must be treated the same. One recruitment process, et cetera. We've got to move away from that because we're going to stifle businesses growing. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. It probably gives me a nice segue again to one of the next questions that I wanted to talk to you about, which is a lot of the hype that sits around like machine learning and AI. Yep. And I think um, it's one of the next big trends that you're hearing um, HR folks and the industry talk around quite a lot. Um, but I think for me, I rather than, you know, what's the next task in which people do repeatedly that it's going to replace... I wanted to ask you a question around um, in your conversations with HR leaders, like what's the, what's the bit that's always missing that you feel like you wish you had that level of insight to support your conversation or to validate your hypotheses or whatever it might be yeah. that you feel like, you know, either insane computing power or the ability for somebody that can think beyond the capability of our, our brains and give you that level of insight. Like what would it be? What, what do you think is at the heart of most of the, the, the challenge in those conversations with business leaders or HR folk that it might be able to help with? <laughs> Got a big question. I mean, I yeah, think big one. <laughs> going into those conversations, most people having those conversations would have insight, they'd have experience. They wouldn't have the benefit necessarily of knowing what the future was going to look like. And what they would lack is specific information or context about that organization its competitors you know the market in which it's um competing etc and so i think that if um ai could bring some of that that would be really helpful i think there is a bit of a fear around a ai you know in terms of taking away 
jobs or whatever, but actually what it's doing is, you know, it's starting to automate things and provide more space to do some of the more interesting stuff. So I think it's very positive. And I think, you know, going into those conversations, um, just having not just insight about the organization, of course, but going back to our previous conversation, and I know it's possible, insight about the candidates that are considering or not considering you, you know, some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I think there's, there's I think the one AI isn't as new as the hype is making it out to be, uh, I think for starters. Um, and and two, uh, the capability of it is uh, not too dissimilar in many of its use cases to how we talk about people analytics and the desirable insight and the speed in which we might be able to have some of these decisions. I think the big thing for me is um, a computer is likely to have a very rational output in terms of its consideration, like it's a binary consideration. Yeah. Um, rather than an emotive one in, in the context of people, you know, we're quite often driven by our emotions rather than what's rationally right. How do you think HR leaders should embrace the capabilities of AI, but make sure they keep the human on the other side of the, what might be a change program or something um, committed to the ongoing conversation? I guess a snapshot of that is the difference between this kind of rational output from a machine versus the emotive need of a human being. How do you manage change or in those situations? Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, a computer can't distinguish the culture it's in, the type of business it's in. And so I guess it's aligning the two, isn't it? It's very important individuals yeah. relate to individuals. And I think everything has a place. Um, so it's sort of a managed program where you're using the outputs but uh, people can disengage with change programs if they don't feel they're relevant. And so mm -hmm. it's tremendously important to have the right sort of HR change leads there that are perhaps not even translating what's coming from um, the sort of uh, the technology, but, you know, putting it into context. Um, you know, it's, it's like data means nothing on its own. It's the insight it gives you, it's what it tells you. And I suppose it's that that um, is, is tremendously important. So bringing the two together. The support of the story, right? It's a part of the story rather than the story, I think is the key right. thing. It's a tool. Yeah, good, 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 good. I've got a couple more for you and then, we're, and then we'll wrap up. So um, the, the next one is, um, so I, I get, thrown into this millennial camp and it frustrates the life out of me um, but large organizations are often trying to solve the problem of attracting millennials um, often as they're focusing on different areas or different aspects of work to the traditional stuff um, have, you, have you got any advice to organizations that are out there on strategies to try and help their organization or their their brand to be more appealing to millennials or me and the way in which they think about their positioning? It's, it's a great question, isn't it? Um, lot, lots to say on this. So if you've got any millennials, if you've actually attracted any, ask them because they'll be um, quite direct and quite honest. Um, millennials, I, my observation is they're very values driven and you know, they expect an organization to be authentic. 
Um, I, you know, I've noticed this um, in terms of a large legal firm that was um, doing some recruitment and they lost quite a lot of their intake because they said what you told us we're going to be doing and how you were wasn't actually the reality. It, it almost lied to us. Um, and I think that perhaps, you know, back in the day when you can put a corporate spin on something which is far away from the reality, you can't get away with that now. I think they want to do interesting work. They want to know what the plan is. They want lots of development. Um, they want flexibility. They want a manager that can coach and mentor them. They have high expectations of a manager. Um, and, and perhaps not all managers have the capability to, to give that. So that's something to think about. Um, and they like, you know, they want new ideas, new ways of doing things. There's a lot of focus on the look of an office and socializing and things like that. I think that's less of an issue because they're naturally going to do that anyway. Dress code yeah. can be um, an issue if you're, you know, a very corporate organization. Um, but um, I, I think the main thing is listening to them and understanding what they want. And the ones that I've worked with closely just want to know what the plan is. Do you have a plan for me? Now, a lot of organizations won't have a plan for them because they'll just be slotting them into a role and off they go. So I think it requires organizations to think differently about how they're going to manage those careers. Yeah, interesting. And do you think, given, um, I just took a quick Google of the bottom end uh, of the date range for a millennial, that means you can be um, 39 is, is the kind of age of a, uh, a millennial now. If, if I look at most of the large organizations that I've worked in in the past, but most mid to senior level managers, you'd, you'd expect people to be at and around that age now. Yeah. So do you think in, in, when you look out of the HR function into the business unit and you look at some of the mid and senior level managers, do you know, I think most of them are millennials now. Yes, I mean, I think it's a very good point. It's not just about the millennial generation, you know, it's generation X, Y, Z, whatever. I think there's an increasing proportion of people that are rejecting traditional corporate values and career paths and want more flexible, creative and life-affirming paths. And I think that's the opportunity if you're looking to recruit people like that. Yeah, good, good, good. Um, two last questions in there, and they're mostly about... Um, you now which is you've worked as a hr independent for 10 years now um what's your view of how this as a what seems to be a really growing area that uh, could change the role of hr um in the traditional workplace and how it impacts the employee experience because there is a real it seems like there's a, a real move towards this kind of hr independent and it's not just for the you know really small businesses anymore no, it's, a, it's an interesting area. I think um, one of the things that uh, we're starting to see a lot of is massive communities growing online, not just of HR people talking to each other, but of workers and employees actively seeking out HR support and advice, which they don't get in the workplace because they see the HR people in the workplace as against them. And so um, one of the greatest influences on the HR community um, is the requirement to protect the organization from, or so they believe, from any sort of, you know, um, employment tribunals or whatever, which stops that sort of natural relationship where they're sort of giving people advice and supporting them. So I can see um, 
with the growth of HR independence, people working flexibly, not wanting to work in traditional organizations, wanting to work lots of different types of organizations, um, they are starting to get more involved with supporting employees and working with internal HR, which I think is great. So at the moment, often the way in might be an investigation, something that's gone wrong, but it might be su supporting a group of workers, maternity coaching or, or something like that. Coaching per se is a very important area to um, many organisations. So I think that's going to be um, hopefully uh, an increasingly growing trend. And I think it will help um, employee experience because going back to that thing about loyalty and trust, people are increasingly slightly distrusting of their one corporate employer. However, working with people that are independent and work with other people, there's more of an opportunity to get a better relationship, a more trusting relationship. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. And um, you've, you've hinted on this a little bit, um, but it would be interesting to just talk about um, the kind of biggest influences on the HR community. So you've got this one, which is availability of information for the worker and a, a, a kind of a community forming online, which is a how do I respond best to somebody that has, you know, infinitely more money, resource and capability than me, which is my employer, probably in a negative situation rather than a positive one. But how do I match the information level such that I can better represent my case? Yep. But in terms of some of the other challenges that HR are facing, like what do you think are the biggest professional influences on the HR community? today and how do you think that needs to change given all of the conversation that we've we've had over the last kind of 20 minutes half an hour yeah. i mean you mentioned the word change and i do think that the hr how hr has been practiced needs to change there needs to be a greater adoption of technology there needs to be the ability to pragmatically um focus on how you can grow that business without losing the integrity of being there to support everybody so that's employed and self-employed many don't do that um, uh -huh. obviously the people that spend the most time training and influencing HR professionals or the legal profession and um, HR consultants are the biggest competitors <laughs> to the legal profession um, and actually it isn't all about compliance with the law of course that has a has a place and now would want to actively break the law but actually it can stop innovation it can stop new ideas and so i think that you know particularly um it'll be interesting to see what the uk is like post-brexit there needs to be a real focus on new and different ways of engaging workers um and you know clearly the role of hr what it's traditionally done which is you know administer policies and um you know recruit and uh etc how they do that doing it with a different focus i often say one of the one of the um best people to spend some time with given the direction of work being much more you know a, a, a fundamental experience of life and how you think about experiences and and how you can create the right kind of environment for people to be successful of spending much more time with their chief marketing officer or marketing director very good point because if you take it back to the fundamentals like yes there is 
legal constraint on how you might operate, but there'll be a huge amount of relevance and importantly connection to the customer. On our last podcast, we spoke to a chap called Jonathan who runs a agency, uh, experience agency called Amplify. Um, and they've done some wonderful experiences. Um, and some of the threads that they're now seeing is trying to connect people better to the customer. So they do yeah. all of this work in finance or in operations or wherever, but like, what does what does that actually result in? Um, is linking some of these customer events and experiences, often for ad campaigns, to the employee and their work, and trying to combine those two. And um, there seems to be some real opportunity for the HR and marketing teams to spend much more time together. Which they traditionally, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And what you're talking about is employee experience which we haven't named yet, but that's, that's a huge part, I think. That's a huge trend and, and tremendously important. And I think thinking of an employee, be, be they actively someone working with you or someone that's considering working with you as a consumer is a great sort of mindset to get into. Because even looking at the sort of recruitment journey, where you might not get back to someone or, you know, whatever, how you treat them, um, it's tremendously relevant. And, you know, we haven't talked about employer brand, but actually that's a very powerful thing in terms of deciding who you want to work for. If I think back to Not on the High Street, who quite early on had quite an established brand and did a lot of mm. work on that so that, you know, when you were inside the organisation, you knew where you were, it visibly looked like that, but also how they treated people. In the early days, they didn't pay any money on recruitment fees because most of the people they hired came through their blog. They literally had people emailing them to say, I'd love to work for you. I just love everything you do. When can I start? And that was very powerful. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I guess it's yeah, what I think it's the power of brand. It's exactly what, I'm, uh, exactly what I mean is that the, 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 the brand of the organization for me is represented to all stakeholders, uh, which would include a customer or an employee yeah. or a worker or an investor or a whoever, um, in what you look like, how, yeah. you, how do you look, what yeah. do you say, say in both you know, written or spoken um, communication, um, and then also how do you act and how do you actually behave. And the hardest thing, um, or the, maybe, maybe less hard, the biggest jump for HR to make when compared to customer experience is um, how, how do they craft those experiences such that they're acting in a way in which best represents the brand and to the standard and with the points of distinction in which they are searching to have. Because, you know, being different is going to be the challenge, I think, as yeah. the power shifts to the employee. Cool. I'm yeah. all out. Oh, go on, go on, go on. I was saying, I saying be, being different is a thing that um, really makes you stand out, you know, so it's, it's compelling. It's a compelling choice to go and work for that organisation because you want a different experience. And I think, you know, complying with a boring old HR policy is not the driver here. No, completely, completely. Um, I'm all out of questions now. I feel like I could talk to you forever because you've got, you've got lots and lots of interesting perspectives on this market but i'm going to um i'm going to stop us there if that's okay unless you've got anything else to add or any uh helpful tips or thoughts to close us out on what topic just generally yeah just because i imagine somebody sat listening to the end of this thinking blimey 
I've got a gigantic uh, challenge on my hands here. I need to be unique for everybody. Uh, the power is shifting to the employee. Um, what, do, what do I actually do? You know, I go back to my desk now. I've listened to this on my lunch break or my train journey in. Yeah. Like, what, what do I actually do to make this feel grounded? And where do I start? A kind yeah. of a nugget of advice would be really useful way to end the conversation. So an employer listening to this now, going back to their um, workstation, thinking my you know, big issue, how do I attract and retain people? I do think it's keep it simple. What are the best bits about your organization? Um, focusing on that, talking to your people, often all the answers that you ever need are already there in your organization. It's listening to the people that you've got and empowering them to get on and do stuff. You don't have to be an HR person to lead on recruitment or talent development. And actually, if you're not, it helps sometimes as well. So I think often the answers are sitting there in the workplace and you don't have to do that much to, to really bring that out. But the biggest message I'd give anyone is be authentic. Do what you say you do. Be who you say you are. And that will speak volumes. Perfect. And I'm going to ask you one last one because the <laughs> words that you use was how do you attract and retain? And I think that that's somewhat symptomatic of some of the challenges in the experience in, in which the world is viewed through the lens of HR, which is it's about get people in and it's about manage the exit, whether good or bad. But the experience of the worker sits from often, you know, I land at my desk or I land behind the desk in a reception in a hotel or whatever it might be on day one, my experience runs until the day that I leave. That The big task is how do you motivate people in my mind? Because HR is pretty good at the rest of it. How do you, how do you really motivate people and how do you get to the heart of what's, what's going to really you know, make a practical step forward in that bit? Yeah. Have you got any closing remarks on, my best on motivation? My, my best tip on motivation is it's about talking to people. Lots of organizations will do something called an exit interview, which you've heard of, Luke. And one of the yeah. things I advocate to people is doing a stay interview. Don't wait until someone's left to talk to them. You, want, you can't shut the door after the horse is bolted. But get someone in, talk to them and say, look, I'm really glad you're here. I value you. What motivates you? What can I do to make your experience better? Just even being listened to is massive. It would be unexpected to have that conversation with your boss just out of the blue, particularly when they call you and you'll be expecting something bad and it won't be. So I think that's really important. Understand what the things are that people care about. It may be little things like flexibility. It may be a particular benefit they want. It may be the opportunity to study. But it may just be that you care about them and, you know, are interested in where they're going on holiday. The other thing I would say is that when people leave you, that's tremendously important as well. I see organisations too often almost immediately vilifying someone that's leaving. The reality is yeah. you cannot retain everybody and you wouldn't want to. So yeah, be as positive when they leave as when they started. That's great. I feel like we've got three absolute golden golden tips um in there that's great thank you ever so much um i'm going to end us here um so there's nothing left for me to say other than thank you ever so much for spending your time to um give us such a i really enjoyed the conversation and such an interesting podcast brilliant thanks luke bye thank you